Hi, this is Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith with the National Police Association, and this is the NPA Report. I want you to meet Lieutenant John McCary. He is a retired NYPD lieutenant, and he's a pro-America, pro-cop patriot who now, because he is retired, can speak out about so many issues and his opinions. I, I, I got to know him on social media and uh, his opinions and his insight is fantastic. And I think you're all going to really be glad to meet him. Lieutenant, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate you having me on. So let's talk about what it was like uh, to be on the largest police department in America and what made you want to be a cop? Sure. It was a true blessing. You know, I'm a New York City kid. I grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. New York at the time when I grew up was a city of crime. You know, it was riddled by violence. So it was controlled by the, the safer neighborhoods were controlled by, by the mafia. Police department was what you would consider corrupt. Um, and, you know, and basically I grew up in that environment. I became a teen into my into the Giuliani era and I was grew up in a high crime neighborhood. So I had broken windows policing employed on me and the kids in my neighborhood that I grew up with. And at the time, I didn't understand it until I became of working age and I started working and I watched my city transform. I watched New York City transform from a city of crime to the safest big city in America, to a place where business came in. When I was a kid, you would walk down 42nd Street in Times Square and there were prostitutes and porn shops. By the time I was 20 years old, I watched Times Square become like a mega, a big corporation, a safe place. You could walk there at three, four in the morning without a problem. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I did have a little disdain for the police as a kid. I, you know, I grew up in the city. I was constantly being stopped for minor crimes and I didn't understand it I, I, again. But at that point, when I did become an adult, I, I realized, I said, this is why they're doing what they're doing. You don't want 60 kids in a schoolyard hanging out. Nothing good is going to come of that. You need, in a city of probably now 12 million people, you need to employ, you need to police minor crimes. Not policing minor crimes leads to insanity. So I became a cop. I joined the police department. You know, I, I looked at it as a true blessing. I went through the test. I had gotten trouble when I was a kid. So I wasn't sure that I could actually go through the process, but I gave it my all. I put in, I told the truth, you know, which I always did my whole life. I always speak the truth. I believe in the truth. So I told them the reasonings, what happened, and that I was a young, dumb kid and who I am now. So they accepted me into the police department. I thought it was the best job in the world. I love the NYPD. I had the best experiences. I, I got to be the guy that went out when things were going wrong in different various communities and all the diverse communities in New York and be the guy if somebody's breaking into your house, I get the guy to go find them. I get to be the guy that goes to arrest somebody that is, is bothering old ladies. And, and, you know, and I always said, people tell me what you do. And I, I said, listen, I grew up in New York. What I'm employed to do is bully bad guys. That's what I do. And I'm good at it. Uh, I'm not afraid of other men. Um, and I, I do not like to see evil go on. And I do just from my experiences in my city and how I grew up, I knew that policing works. And, you know, I was trained in, in broken windows. I, I, again, further watched it. As, as I employed the tactics myself and understood them and put my own spin on them. Um, so I believe in policing minor crimes and I watched that 
go. Uh, I got promoted probably with about seven years on. I was an active cop. I did plainclothes work. Uh, I did that for about seven years. Uh, Anti-crime, field intelligence, and, and even though I did a little patrol in the beginning, and you know, I, I then wanted to become a supervisor. I wanted to teach young guys this, the way I was trained, and I wanted to go out and be able to spread my wings further to employ the tactics that I knew worked and my style that I believed worked. You know, my, my, my punchline always and always is, you know, my whole thing was when you're a cop, whatever situation you're in, you treat that person as if they're your family. I don't care if they're an emotionally disturbed person, they're on drugs, they're a, a criminal, they're a, a notorious violent criminal. Now that doesn't mean that does not mean that I'm going to play with soft hands at all. That does not mean that. But I will treat them. I will do what I expect the police to do in that situation. And that never, never steered me wrong. My whole career, you know, I've affected thousands of arrests, both as an officer and a supervisor. I've been involved in so many. And I've never been a subject of discipline. Uh, you know, I've had got some minor complaints, but nothing legitimized. And, you know, it, it, and, and it worked. It held true to me. You know, I, I just I always believed on that. You have to put your head in the pillow at night. So, yes, if somebody is violent, you are you employing me to stop that, to make everyone safe and maybe to make that situation safe and to stop anyone else from getting hurt. I do have to deploy violence. And, you know, it's, it's an inconvenient truth that most people on the news, they watch a video and they don't understand it. Violence is a constant. It's always been. Um, and and who it shouldn't be employed uselessly or for no reason. But when there's danger alert, police officers do need to raise to that level. We're not doing it because we want to. I never went to work any day and was like, I'm going to arrest someone unless I was looking for a targeted perpetrator that was out there uh, being a predator towards our communities. I've never once, other than that, if I was just on patrol that day, I've never once went out to look for arrest. But they're everywhere. You know, and, and 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 they're demonizing the majority of good citizens. The, the 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 citizens are overwhelmingly, the communities overwhelmingly love the police, are great people, go to work, just want their kids to go to school safe, just want to go to work safe, want to be left alone. They don't want to deal with violence and crime and quality of life issues. That that's why they pay us. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And to, to me, that was police work. It was it was a blessing. I loved every second of it. Unfortunately, I'm not still in the field, uh, you know, due, due to uh, New, uh, New York City Mayor de Blasio and now New York City Mayor's illegal mandates. So, I mean, you know, but again, I still I'm still blessed. I still count my blessings. I wouldn't change it for the world. I would sign up again and I would do it all over again. Well, so let's let's talk about that. First of all, a couple of things. One of the things when I talk to um, NYPD cops, there's an overwhelming um, uh, majority of them grew up somewhere in New York City, mostly in bad neighborhoods, who had some dust ups with the cops and then became cops. And I think that really speaks to the uh, NYPD officers on the street who are obviously doing things that are influencing kids just like you were influenced, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, it, it influences me and the same way that the police department influences me, the way that we're stepping back towards crime now, the way that the politicians and the media are, are basically putting kids hands on crime. Now you're speaking to the youth. You're telling me who was grew up poor with nothing. I'm in the park. I'm looking up to the older kids in the neighborhood who are causing trouble and they're coming 
in and they're telling me, oh yeah, I just made a few thousand dollars and nothing happened to me. The case got thrown out. I was, I was only arrested. I, I did three hours in jail. And what do you, what do you think those little kids are going to do? They're going to do exactly what the older, what they see the older kids in the neighborhood doing. You know, again, most of them come from working families like myself, you know, then their parents aren't around. You're out in the street, you're learning, you're learning things. By the time I was 11, I knew more than 21 year olds across the country, you know? And, and, and so to me, like that, that's a huge, huge thing. The narrative that us now as adults are, are giving to these children. And to me, it was unacceptable to be a criminal. It's unacceptable. That's how I was raised. That's how my community, my politicians, my teachers, that's how I was raised. If you don't want to be part of society, you're not going to be part of society. If you don't want, you know, and that's how I was raised. And, and I always said to my friends, imagine if we were kids and we got in trouble and we only spent two hours in jail and the case got dropped. Now, instead, when we got in trouble, we spent the weekend. And that's the greatest lesson that anyone could ever have. It's the greatest social service anyone have. One night in central booking and you, you know, you get a slap on the wrist, your case gets dropped, it's for a minor crime and you could come back in life and hey, you could even become a cop later on down the road. And the stuff that you don't like and the way the cops that you didn't run into because cops are human, just like right, accountants, right. you're gonna have a guy you don't like, you're gonna run into people that you're like, wow, that guy's an idiot. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have talked to somebody like that. You know, right. for the same way, now you could go there and you could be the change you wanna see. And, you know, I was given that opportunity by New York City. And, you know, they, they took me from a, a poor, low-income kid. I became, to you know, a staple in my community because of that. And, you know, and, and I applaud the politicians at that time that did that on, on both sides. But now, you know, if you see, I, I, I deplore the, the, the politicians on both sides. I, I don't think they're sending the right message out. I don't think my police unions, particularly in New York City, are even speaking up for, for, for not only for us as their members, but for the community, for the true community. They're, they're, they're pointing to things to keep the message politically correct and not telling the truth. And I don't believe in that. And, you know, although I lost my career, my mission now in life is to take care of my family but is to also speak the truth, whether, you know, you like it or you don't, it just is what it is. I may be wrong. I may be right. I, but it is, but I'm going to tell you my opinion. And that's well, just. And let's talk about that because, you know, we have the, you know, NYPD, you know, in a post uh, Michael Brown, post Ferguson era started to get, you know, and you guys had nothing to do with that, but, you know, then we had other situations um, occur and cops started to get vilified. Then George Floyd occurs. Again, nothing to do with NYPD. Um, but then there were other notorious cases. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about defund the police, get rid of the police. And, uh, and NYPD definitely got defunded. And then this, you know, we're also in the middle of COVID. So then Mayor de Blasio came up with these bizarre vaccine mandates that I believe, because a lot of big city mayors did this, was just a, another secret way to defund the police. And you were caught in the middle of that, right? Absolutely. You know, I, I worked throughout the riots in 2020. I watched, like you said, you know, post Michael Brown era, I watched my whole department transform, all the tactics that I deploy, that I know work, that keep 
people safe and and do not violate by the way anyone's constitutional rights you know i i i don't believe in the heavy hand of government i don't believe in that i i believe in us as humans as being a community again i'm a i was a member of my community i i love my community it's, it has and so do, and so did 99.9 percent .9 of the cops you know what i mean that's your that's your that's your best friend's grandmother you're dealing with that's your 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 good friend's son and and over and over that we want our community to be better that's the overwhelming majority of us but post michael brown we changed all our policies we do all this and you know what you could defund the police you you could do all of those things um, but it was really the policy that they that they start to employ. So, you know, I worked the riots. I get COVID early on. I treatment in New York City is awful. I almost go out of the picture because I get pneumonia and I can't get treatment. I had pneumonia for like seven days. Um, I still have spotting and scarring on my lungs, you know, so and all in the line of duty, you know, which again is ignored by the, the police department. They're like, oh, no, you're fine. You know, you might have had that spotting prior whatever. I, again, I don't care. I'm not. I'm not a guy that that's going to sit there and cry. I I make myself better. I'll physically heal on my own. I'll do things to keep myself healthy um, and to get back to work, which I did. Get myself back to work, and then all of a sudden these mandates come in, and I you know and I test my antibodies because I'm being told by my medical professionals and by the NYPD that I need to take the vaccine to get antibodies. I test my antibodies. They're through the roof. Um, they're at the highest level that they could be at. And, you know, I, I cannot, you know, and again, I was having residual effects and I don't see a reason for me to take a vaccine that, to get antibodies when I already have it. So I, you know, I submitted a religious exemption. I basically, I, I submitted to the fact that, you know, Jesus two times in the Bible says, those who are sick are in need of a doctor and those who are not, do not. And to me, I take that as, I don't need to take medicine when, I, when I'm not sick, I don't take an aspirin when I don't have a headache. I've, I'm not a doctor guy. I've never been like, I, you know, just doing police work. You're working six, seven days a week, 16 hours a day. I don't go to the doctor. I go like when my toothache's really bad, then I go. Um, I don't I don't go for routine checkups. It's probably horrible, but I'm just it's just the truth. That's that's how I am. I work out every day. I eat right. I try to stay healthy. Um, so I submitted a religious exemption and New York City, you know, I, I, I'm familiar with all OEO guidelines and all OEO law and, and NYPD's own policy being a lieutenant, I have to be familiar with all of this stuff. And I adhere to my duties as an employee, but they did not adhere to their duties as an employer. And I currently don't know how New York City can still say they're an OEO employer. I don't know how they can still have that tag um, because they're not. They illegally deny not only me, but thousands religious exemptions. And, you know, they, you know, they continue to say, oh, the good cops that did what they had to do, that wanted to keep their community safe. But I just need to remind everyone prior to these mandates, 60% of us were not vaccinated. And now it's it's probably around like a 10% or less, maybe 15% of us that are still not, still awaiting denials. Some are gonna leave. Um, but you demonize 60% of your cops that you already demonized in the, in the post Michael Brown era. Their morale is in the toilet. They took something they did not want to, to put food on the table. You gave them that decision. At the same time, you sat there in the height of a suicide crisis and you told us that you cared about our mental health. I know for me personally, I've dealt with a lot of stuff in my life, so things don't really get to me. But during that time, my anxiety was through the roof. I couldn't sleep. My eye was fluttering. My blood pressure was up. I've never had blood pressure in my whole life. Never, never. And, you know, and I sat there and I watched discrimination and segregation live in the NYPD and it disgusted me. And I couldn't sit there 
and tell my children to do the right thing and tell them and look my friends in the face and tell them that I'm going to do the right thing when I'm being asked to, to not only to violate my own conscience, but to force others into doing that. And, and as a supervisor and as a man and as a father and a, and a, and a Roman Catholic, I could, I could not in good conscience do that. So, you know, I, uh, I, you know, I was denied religious exemption. I was told dear applicant, um, Dear applicant, uh, you've, after careful review, you've been denied. I appealed and I basically at that point submitted for retirement. I couldn't lose 18 years. I, you know, th this, this whole decision has cost me millions over the course of my life. Um, yeah. You know, I have no, I have no health care. I have no steady check coming in now. I had to start a business to put food on the table. I actually had to move out of state to get employment. Um, you know, and <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's awful. They're awful things. So, uh, but you know, Everything happens for a reason, and here I am. And uh, you know, I appreciate you giving light to the issue and a voice because most people don't. Um, so, and again, well, like and I said, I'm the thing. It, you know, with with what's happening, uh, not just in New York but around the country, we're pushing out good, experienced, ethical police officers like you, and we're having a hard time bringing in, you know, it, police officer recruitment around the nation is down 63%. What's going to happen when there's none of us left who really want to do this job? And, you know, and I want to ask you as somebody who lived through um, broken windows policing, and then, you know, when that all went away, what do you think is the answer for not just New York, but for this nation to get a handle on the explosion of violent crime, property crime, carjackings, rapes, homicides? What do you think is the answer? It's very simple. Hold people accountable for their actions. Hold politicians accountable for the laws they pass. Hold people that sit there on TV and go up at a press conference and lie to you. Hold them accountable. Make people do their job. Make politicians do their job. When you have a DA that, that comes in and says, these are the parts of my job that I must do, that I will not do, make sure you vote that guy out. Make sure you speak. You know, you know everyone's politically lazy today, my generation. They don't want to get involved in the political process. And, and, and we see the effects of that now. The only way to go back is to police minor crimes. If we're not policing minor crimes, and we could do that without violating civil rights, and you could do that even without stop, question, and frisk. You can do that just by policing crimes that are committed. You know, I have no problem if you go out and you go to a bar and you drink. I have no problem if you go home and you smoke marijuana. It's none of my business. I have a big problem when there's 10 of you standing on the corner and there's little kids playing in a playground and you're drinking and smoking marijuana. And so should everyone. And we need to have an honest conversation about this. We can't let get blocked. You can't let your voice get blocked with cries of racism and all of this other nonsense, because that's not true. We're policing crime. Police officers criminally profile. Your race is a part of that profile. It has nothing to do with why you're being stopped. I'm an Italian kid. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood. I policed Italian neighborhoods. If you look at my arrest record and you look at my stop question frisks, they're all kids that talk like me, look like me, dress like me, came from the same community as me. And they were bad kids and they were up to no good. And we went after them. And, you know, and, and that's really what we need to get back to. If we're not policing minor crimes, we're picking up the pieces after major crimes happen. There's no other way to do it. You know, and you see New York City Mayor Adams now, and he's talking about giving active shooters an on-ramp, paying 
people who violently shoot someone with an illegal firearm to not shoot people. It's disgusting. It's the wrong message. The media is silent. Our unions are silent. We need to get back to the truth. And the way that we're going to do that is regular people are going to have an honest conversation about how we want to live. Let's break down every issue. There's, there's, there's X amount of issues, right? What do you do when kids are drinking in a park? What do you do when kids are doing this? What do you do for a guy that does this? Let's have that conversation. Let's actually describe what what America wants a police officer to do. Let's not have a politician tell you one thing one day and another thing the next day. Let's actually have a conversation and hold all of each other accountable to, to, to that. You hold the police accountable and, and we hold the, uh, the public accountable. John, I uh, want to stand up and applaud. I wish I could. That was so well said. Tell, tell us, John, where can people find you and talk about, uh, we only have a less than a minute, but talk about the podcast you got coming. Yeah, so I'm starting a podcast, New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered. You're going to hear real talk, not from a mayoral appointed people. You're going to hear from real guys on the street. You're going to see the diversity, not only in, in skin color, but in sexual preference, in, in uh, religion, in, in schools of thought, in, in political ideology of police officers. You're going to hear real voice from real people. You can find me at, at johndmacari.com. And my website is newyorksfinestunfiltered.com. Uh, I'm doing a with a good friend of mine, Vincent Flores. He was a sergeant uh, in, one P uh, in uh, the NYPD for a long time. Great guy. And we're just going to have honest civil conversation and debate. John Macari, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in, in the future because uh, I think you're an amazing guy and, a, and an amazing uh, patriot. And I am so excited. And I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today and sharing your knowledge with us. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.